Well, kia ora and welcome to another deep dive here on the podcast and I'm really excited to bring you this episode today because it's definitely one of my highlights so far and um, I got to sit down with Sam Tompkins. Now if you don't know Sam, Sam is an international rugby league player for England, plays uh, fullback and in the halves. He's had over 200 appearances for Wigan and three titles in that time. Um, he's also played for the New Zealand Warriors down here in New Zealand, how good, and um, he currently plays for the Catalan Dragons in France. So his experiences have taken him all over the world and we, we kind of dived into his journey into rugby league from growing up with him and his siblings and his parents making the sacrifices they had to make to get him into the sport that he loves and even the experiences of him you know, trying to crack footy at the top level and been signed 25 quid a game if they won while also lawn keeping at the same time to try and you know make ends meet um to now becoming one of their no one of the best players in the world so it was really cool just to see that journey and the mindset that sam brings which is something he learned from his family and from his father of just never giving up always giving it a crack and um it was really cool to see even how he's uh, exploring that with his kids and raising his family and the lessons he's trying to pass on to them so it was really cool and we definitely chatted about his experiences down here in New Zealand, uh, which included a pretty hilarious first encounter with the mad butcher, Peter Leach, um, which uh, included a hongi with no idea what he was doing. <laughs> but something I really enjoyed about our conversation is that um, we got to see more to Sam than the rugby league that everyone else sees. Um, things like his love for renovating and um, doing up houses and player management which is something he wants to get into one day and you know developing young players and and taking them on board and um, even things like a bit of punditry that he's actually had some experiences with including an interview with Russell Crowe so yeah honestly this podcast is full of gems some hilarious stories and um, yeah real motivating to hear uh, Sam's journey his story so I know you're gonna love it so lock in Sam, thanks for hopping on for a, for a chat, bro. And um, I bet you it's been a while since you've heard a Kiwi voice. Uh, well, there's a there's a couple knocking about still that I'm, I'm playing with at the moment. So, um, yeah, the, the voice, but not quite as many as uh, I was hearing a few years ago when I was when I was living in Auckland. Yeah, tell me about that, man. Like when you came to Auckland, did you know what you were in for in terms of the culture of New Zealand? No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. I didn't. I'd been there in 2010 or 11, just on like a, a tour playing against the Kiwis. Um, and we stayed at Sky City in Auckland. And, but when, you, when you're traveling with a team, you basically, you're training, you're back to the hotel, you might have a beer after a game in a couple yeah, of places yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's it. So I didn't, I like the city from what I'd seen of it, but what I saw of it was, you know, tiny compared to what um what i managed to experience in the in the couple of years that i lived there but um i i loved it absolutely loved it i think auckland's a brilliant city full of full of good people and um since as soon as i left i left the end of 2015 mm. yeah like december 2015 or november 2015 and i was like to my missus like next year after the season we'll go back on holiday mm. she was pregnant at the time we we're like yeah okay and then she fell pregnant again. And basically, she's just been loving having kids since. And we've never had a chance to get back yet. But at some point, 
we definitely will be. Mate, got to get back over here because I can imagine um, we always talk about, you know, as Kiwis, can we get out and see the world and go and visit the UK or go and visit Italy and all these places, but we forget that, mate. We've got it pretty good down our neck of the woods, eh? Oh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable place. And one of the best things about living there was people came to visit with like my parents, my sister's family, uh, my my wife's sister and, and their families. And like my my mum and my dad, they came over. So like my mum came for like a month. Like my mum would never go to New Zealand for a month in her life, <laughs> no. ever. It's just, it's no way holiday. It's whatever it is, 12,000 miles away. It's expensive to get there, et cetera. But, you know, when I was there, it meant people could come, stay with us. And, yeah. and every single person that came were like, this is unbelievable country. Yeah, yeah. Where were your go-to places if you had to take you were taking them to the spots? You know, they always ask you, "Come on, take us to take us to your spots." Where would you Where would you kind of take them? Waiheke Island was like my go-to every time. I was like, we just walk into the centre, jump on a boat. We're on. We're drinking wine on Stony Ridge. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that was always my my go-to because you could you can get over there in thirty minutes. Mm. Um, when we had a little bit more time. Um, I, I liked getting down to Queenstown. I went down there a few oh, times. That's, that's awesome, mate. Eh? Um, it's just got everything there on it. So yeah, we we um, yeah we loved it. Did you give the old frisbee golf a go <laughs> down there? The old disc golf? No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't do that. No. Oh, mate, that's one of the. Yeah. Uh, it's either that or the as a Ferg Burger or whatever it's called. Everyone yeah, like oh, raves yeah. about. Well, I've been told about that before I went. They were like, "You've got to go this Ferg Burger." So I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and we walked down the street. There was this queue. It was about fucking two miles long yeah. i'm like there's no way i'm queuing in that to get a burger so i never i never had it and then one night after we'd been out another drink it was still open and it wasn't so big of a queue but i had a few beers so i can't remember how good or bad it actually was yeah yeah well hey a burger's a burger i guess <laughs> at the end of the day that's um, it but what about you bro where are you from and kind of like where did you grow up over in, in england um well i was i was born in uh milton Keynes, which is down the south of the country um, just because my uh, my dad's uh, well, he's retired now. He's a police officer, um, so he was a he was trying to move up the ladder when he was you know in his early twenties. So we we moved about a bit. Um, I was born down south in Milton Keynes, and then we moved up near up to near Wigan, which was where um, my my older brother was born there before we moved down. And then we all ended up by the time we were um, about eight years. I was about eight years old. We moved to Wigan, which is where I'd class myself as a, a Wiganer. Um, oh, you know, that's where I that's where I grew up. Yeah, that's where I'm. Um, that's where home is. Yeah. Really. Um. Yeah. Just um, one of one of three boys. I'm the middle middle child. Got the middle child syndrome. Have you noticed that uh, as as the I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm so I'm the oldest. But I've noticed as the children keep coming, the the rules are slack. The, the expectations oh, yeah. are less, you know. Like I feel like, oh, you had it real hard up here, <laughs> and then as you go down. But the middle child's always the favourite, bro. Well, no, not in our house. The youngest is <laughs> uh, me and my older brother Joel. There's two years between us. Um, we just used to fight like cat and dog till we were about fifteen. Yeah. My younger brother, he's uh, three years younger than me. Never had an argument in his life. Just cruised through. Just he had it pretty easy, to be fair. Um, but yeah, we it's. Grew up in a, it was just a rugby league household that we grew up in. You know, mm. three of us all playing, all all went on to play professionally. All still are playing professionally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was just there was no allowances for 
anything that my mum wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I think back now and having three boys all playing rugby, it's only now that I'm an adult and a dad that I think my mum and dad had literally no social life <laughs> for all the time that we were kids. Yeah. Like we, we, there'd be one of us training or playing <clears throat> every single day of the week. And my parents on a weekend, they'd never miss a game, never miss a training session. And it's only when I got older, I was like, did you ever see your friends? Yeah, like, no, yeah. I'm like, I've got three young kids. I've got a fourth on the way. And I'm like, oh, I've got to do this and this. But I need to catch up with such a body. I'm like, my parents didn't see anyone for like 15 <laughs> years. They had no social life, but oh, they gave us, a, gave us a great start. It's interesting because I remember um, a couple of athletes that like we've done on this recording have said the, <laughs> like similar things that you don't realise how – Really, the parents are the real MVPs at the end of the day, eh? Like, you had to get to training, you had to get your yeah. boots, you had to get your games, yeah. you know? Like, it's it's funny that you say 100%. that. It's, it's, it's strange because, you, as a kid, you're like, you appreciate the lift to training, but that's just the norm. You're like, yeah, well, of course, my mum's going to take me training. Yeah. Where we where we grew up playing rugby, we could walk to training and it take us 25, 30 minutes, but yeah. we, we never had to or very, very rarely did. And... You know, my parents, they they both worked and then they'd finish work. And as soon as they got through the door, it was like, right, you get in the car, you're going to such a place, you get some food, I'll feed you, I'll do... I'm like... <sighs> but now I see it. I, now I see it a lot in my wife. Like, my wife's unbelievable with the kids. We've got... So my boys are five. My second son's four today, actually. Um, oh, awesome. And then I've got... My daughter's one. And I've got another baby coming in July. And... Some days I'm just like, my head's popping off. The house is full. There's <laughs> yeah. kids everywhere. Yeah. And my wife just like goes, oh, no, it's fine. We'll do this, do this, and gets through it. She's, um, yeah, she's unbelievable. But, yeah, like I say, I think when, when I think back now and the amount of time that and my mum and dad spent at work earning money to basically give us whatever we needed just mm. to play rugby, I'm mm. like, it was a fair commitment. We actually moved house as kids just to just to facilitate us playing rugby yeah 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 um it was we were living like about 25 minutes away from where we were actually playing mm. um and my older brother was 10 i was eight and at, at that stage my dad was like no i think you're both pretty good at rugby so did he play himself no 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 he was a uh, he supported he was he supported warrington wolves mm. um he played, he was like athletic in school. He played basketball. He was a pretty big fella. Um, my mum was pretty athletic, but never, there was no, no one had ever played rugby. Mm. Um, and yeah, they were, they were, they were work, they were taking us to training every day. And the, the drive was obviously difficult with three. Sometimes all three of us would be in different places <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes away. Yeah. So my parents just said, oh, we'll just move there. So we moved in. That's why we ended up in Wigan just to, just for us to play rugby and again that was another one it was only when I got older I was like so you moved house so your eight and ten year old could play for a better rugby team because you thought they were good yeah like do you know what I mean it doesn't you think an eight and a ten year old playing rugby shouldn't affect where you live but yeah that's what my parents did well and I and that makes me think bro like I can imagine there you know countless countless people that you know similar to you and your brothers that you know play in sports and all that thing but the environment that your parents had created and set up for you guys is kind of what really, you know, got you started. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Without that, I wonder yeah. where even you'd be. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of things through your through your childhood, it's like where you go to school, your friends. You know, it, it all they all add up to you know whatever you end up doing or what kind of person you end up being. I think living in in Wigan was, was definitely a factor for that. We the school that I went to is called Saint John Fisher, um, and it's just a it's just a rugby league school, um, yeah. and that that we went to, and I think that has an effect just not just because of the rugby, but the, the school it was, it's a, it's a strict Catholic school. Yeah. Um, and I've not even been christened. I have no belief in any religions. And, yeah. I, and we're at this Catholic school, only purely going just because, just to play rugby league. Um, and yeah, you know, the experience of, of going through that, everybody at the school, literally everyone in the year, I remember my first religious studies um, <laughs> yeah. lesson. I walked in and I was like, I have no idea. They're talking about mass and they're yeah, all these different rituals during during um, the mass and, and uh, oh, there, was, there was all sorts. And then we had to one of the first things, year seven, you're only like eleven years old. It was like, oh, you had to like design an invitation for your christening date or your baptism or something like that. And everybody knew the date that they'd been they'd been christened. And, and that. here you and were. I just had to make, <laughs> I was here, didn't believe in any gods, just making it up. Like, yeah, I got, yeah, I, I was the same, yeah, same church as you, yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, what? Didn't, yeah, I, I was the same day as, and like, just blagged it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that, you know, the, the school that I went to was, it's a bit of a, um, it, it's known for producing rugby league players, but it's a little bit rough and ready as well. Um, yeah. You know, you get a, you get a real mix of, of kids, um, you know, some from, good backgrounds, some from not so good, some from nice areas, some from pretty rough areas, and it's a real mix. Um, and I think, you know, going to that school, I think, moulded me a little bit as well. Why do you think that school, because I know we have that in New Zealand, you know, like we talk about it, you know, Mount Albert Grammar is known for producing rugby league players or Auckland Grammar, whatever those schools are. What do you think it is about the school? Was it the coaching? Was it the like the resource they put into the rugby league programme? Or like what what is the difference? Yeah, I don't know, it can't be resources because there wasn't any. It was just a rugby ball. <laughs> yeah, true. I think it's. I think it's just the importance that they put on it. Mm. You know, when you when you go into the um, the PE area, you have pictures up on the walls of like professional players who who mm. came through the school. And I remember my um, in one of my very first years, year seven, year eight, we won the um, the, the national school title, and. Um, the next day we went in school and at lunchtime we got to go in the staff office and all eat donuts, all oh, the players. Yeah, <laughs> I man. remember we were like, we were walking out of the staff office, like looking around at everyone going, we just had donuts with the headmaster. Like, yeah, we're top we're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's New Zealand too. Like if you're in the first 15 rugby, rugby union, you're like top shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's what it, that's what it felt like. And I think that's, that's probably why. Um, and I think generally, you know, People want to go to that school for rugby, so the same as we did. If we were we were decent rugby players at 10, 11 years old, it's like, well, why don't you go there? Because, you know, they, they put a big emphasis on rugby and, and, it, and it worked out. How are you as an academic? Um, I'd say okay. Yeah. Um, and lessons that I wanted to get my teeth into, I did well in. Sports science, um, um, PE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, I was... I enjoyed maths, got to be in maths. Um, science and English, just okay. Mm. PE, obviously got 
got a good got an A star in PE, but I was in you know I was interested in the theory side of it as well. So I yeah. threw myself into it. Ironically, the one lesson that I failed was French. And I remember actually saying like yeah. I was in I was in like bottom set in French, just messing about all the time. Yeah. And the teacher was like, you know, you have to try. I'm like, when am I ever gonna need French? When? <laughs> oh, it's too good, and, eh? It's literally the one lesson I should have listened in. I've never needed to use my my B in maths or yeah, yeah, yeah. an A in science. But if I'd have listened in French, I'd have been I'd have made my last few years a lot easier. It's <laughs> funny actually when I when I signed for uh, the Catalan Dragons, my French teacher from when I was at school tweeted me and said, "Just seeing you're moving to France, I'm lost for words, just like you will be." <laughs> <laughs> That's gold, eh? That's so funny. I was like. Oh, can't that's good that's chat, man. Because um, yeah. I know I've got a good mate who went to Saint Donat um, to play Union in Italy, and so does another mate of his, both from New Zealand, and they're playing. It's kind of semi-professional over there at that level. But he learnt Italian. The other mate didn't, and the other guy struggled hard. Yeah. Have you kind of been picking it up a bit, or are you just getting by with what you kind of know? Yeah, no, no, I, I do. I um, I do try and learn. I've at the club, all the English-speaking players, you have to have a lesson once a week with the club. Um, and at home, we have we have um, a, a lady comes around and teaches me and my wife. Because um, my, my kids are in school speaking French, so I sort of have to learn. So Because when, when my boys come home and go like, oh, Dad, how do you say this? Yeah. I'm like, on my phone, Googling. Um, one Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I, um, so I, do, I do try. And mm. it's, it's difficult, but because at the, the club that I play at as well, half the team speaks English. The coach is English. Hmm. The um, the conditioners are English. There's an assistant French coach. So it just, it's sort of, it's generally a lot, most of it's done in, in English. Yeah, yeah. How are your kids adjusting to living in France, man? Good. Well, they love it. They, they don't know. They can't remember England. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is, so my eldest was, well, my eldest was two and a bit when we came. Yeah, and then the youngest was one. My You've been there two born, or three years so. already. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, far out. So, um, yeah. So it's my my son, uh, my eldest son Rex. He went into school um, straight away, here. and his teacher, like a lot of people around this area uh, in Perpignan, a lot of them know some English or know a certain amount. And um, my son went on his first day. I dropped him off. And the teacher, that was the first day I met his teacher. And she doesn't know one word of English, <laughs> not True. one word. And I dropped my son off and he's crying at the door. Dad, I don't want to go in. And then this lady's just bombarding him with French, basically saying, come on inside, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know what she was saying. <laughs> yeah. And I dropped him off and I, I went training that day and I was like, I'm the worst dad ever. <laughs> like, I've just dropped my son off. Lamb to the slaughter. Oh, well, I was like, what a daunting experience it's going to be for him, just being in this new place with a teacher that can't can't even communicate with him, yeah. all these kids. And I was like, shit. So I was on my phone at training looking at these private English-speaking schools. I was like, I'm just going to have to send him to one of these. Yeah. I was like really panicked. My wife was crying. And, mm-hmm. and then I, I picked him up from school on the Monday and he was like, yeah, it was okay. I was like, all right, okay. Next, I couldn't sleep that night. I thought I'm going to drop him off in the morning. He's going to be kicking off again. Next day, I took him to school. I just went, all right, see you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I funny. was like, how's that, how's that happened? And 
he came home and I was like, are you, are you getting on at school? What do you think? He's like, yeah, it's good. I said, what are you speaking to? And <laughs> he's like, oh, it's just playing. And the, the curriculum is very different in France to England. So up until the six years old, there is no um, sort of formal learning. Mm. So until the six, they just teach them about manners and etiquette and, you know, how to speak. They, they all, the one big thing they encourage is speaking in front of a group. Um, yeah. And it's it's a nice way of schooling, really, mm. um, because you see kids in France, and it's so different. Like it's, you know, I thought going to New Zealand was a culture shock, yeah. and then I moved to France, and I was like, oh, this is what a culture shock is. Yeah, it's just so different. But everybody in France, all the kids are really confident. So if you walk past a kid in the street who you don't know, mm. they'll just say, oh, "Bonjour, Monsieur." And you're like. Why is that kid saying a lot to me? But what it is, they've been taught from such a young age to be confident and speak to people, and and you can see it in the people that you know the schooling affects them. So, you know, both my boys enjoy school. Male, this Rex, he's he's speaking um, a decent amount of French. He understands pretty much everything, um, and you know he's only five. A couple of days ago, some some guy um, came to the back gate. He, he was asking my wife, trying to explain to my wife that. He needed to get his car past the cars that were parked outside. Yeah. And she so- shouted my son over his five, <laughs> yeah. translate yeah. what this you guy got your little through. translator now, man. <laughs> yeah. No. So it's it's good and my kids my kids enjoy it. And that was one of my biggest um reasons for, for moving to France. Just to experience something different for my kids. Mm. You know, for my kids to grow up speaking two languages and uh, you know when I finish playing, I don't know where we'd live now because we like it here so much. We could stay in France or if we go back to England, the kids will be, you know, they'll be bilingual and, and they'll be, I feel like they'll be, you know, they'll be really well equipped going forward then. Oh, 100%. And I'm a teacher myself, bro, and something that is starting to come into the New Zealand curriculum as well, but it's just that we call it play-based learning. And um, even for you as a dad, like, at the end of the day, they're, they're reading, they're writing, their maths. That will handle itself. But the whole social skills, yeah. eh? like you say, know how to speak in front of others, know how to actually play with others and respect others, all that kind of stuff. That's more important, I think, for sure, you know? Yeah, 100%. And it's it's like when I see my son now coming, say we go out to the park and he just goes and speaks to some, some kids that he's never met, some French kids, I'm like, would he have done that if we were in England? I don't know. Mm. You know, so there's loads of loads of positives, but yeah, my kids love it. And the kids, it's it's strange because like one of the things that I always worry about is, you know, well, not worry, but think about like, how are my kids going to be as adults? Yeah, you know, yeah. what what is it that we do now that's going to mould? Because as I touched on before, I think a lot of things in my childhood moulded how, how I am and how I've become and, and what I've done with my life so far. But I'm like, my kids have it so easy. I'm like, mm. is that going to be a bad thing? I don't know. For for you, what are the lessons, I guess, you've learned from your even your parents that you are applying now as a dad, especially knowing that your parents, like you say, sacrificed what they did and uh, but mm. like no time for themselves because they work, kids, sleep, repeat. You know, like how what have you learned yeah. and how have you kind of applied that, bro? I know as a kid, um, my mum and dad never let me let me give up on anything. So it didn't really matter what it was. It was like, no, you just you're sticking at it. You know, you're gonna keep you're gonna keep doing it until you either get it right or there's you know, you've you've sort of exhausted it and um it's as a kid you don't really know you don't sense that. 
but you know I know that's what they they did and they, and they really pushed that and I pushed that in my son now. Um, my kids were playing basketball the other day. I put a basketball net up on one of the trees for him, and my son couldn't get the ball in for the first like three or four goes. And he was like, oh, don't matter, I'm going on the trampoline. I was yeah. like, no, you're not. No, <laughs> yeah. you're not. You're coming back and you're going to get that ball in that net. And I'm like, you've got to get it. And I think that's, as I was doing it, I was like, shit, this is exactly what my dad had been doing to me. Like, no, you're going to you're gonna get through it. And I think that that um, sort of determination that, that I was, that was fed into me yeah. is certainly, you know, a, a massive contributing factor to, to uh, you know, how I've been able to be, successful in my in my rugby career mm. well and I was thinking too for you Sam like you're living in England growing up in England and um I mean I don't know if I'm being stereotypical right now but it's football mad you know what I mean like yeah all of my friends from the UK play football and, and you know even if yeah. it's socially and they're still better than half the Kiwis here for you to play league in England is like for New Zealanders to play I don't know football in New Zealand in a way because New Zealand's such yeah. a rugby nation you know was that the case or is league quite big because Wigan I know is like the home of league right it's huge over there Yeah. but I mean was that a bit of a tension when you were growing up that you're in a football mad nation playing rugby no nah, well when you're in Wigan you're just in a rugby town rugby right. league town it's um, there's, they've got a successful football team as well Wigan Athletic that have been in the premiership before mm. but the vast majority, all the amateur teams and all the good setups are rugby league. So I've I've been asked that before. Like I don't even have a football team that I support. You know, mm. I don't. People are amazed. Like when I went to New Zealand, people would be like, "Oh yeah, are you Man City or are you Man United?" I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't have a team. <laughs> yeah. They're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah." Or like Aussies would come and play at Wigan, and they'd be like, "Right, who do you guys support?" And we'd all be like, eh, "No, some some guys are into it, but like a lot of them are just like." No, not really. Yeah, I might support Liverpool, but not. And people think it's bizarre. Whereas if you went to into Manchester, which is only thirty minutes away from Wigan, nobody knows a league player. Yeah. Nobody, nobody even. No one has a team. Everyone's like rugby league. Nah, it's just idiots running into each other. Now we're all football. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's not. It's so different that you can travel thirty minutes and people have no idea. It's just so different. So does that make you less? Does that make you less recognisable when you're at home? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. If you're in, if you're in Wigan areas or as like Wigan, Warrington, St Helens, they're all very close towns. Um, Greater Manchester and Lancashire. That that if you're in any of those, you recognise. But you can go into Manchester on a night out or shopping for a day, and you get noticed by a few people that are just usually people from Wigan that are in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't you don't get noticed very often. So it's it's. Um, it's it's very very different like that because it, it in England you know from from where I grew up you can jump on the train to London you're in London in two hours yeah and that is it's rugby union and football mainly yeah and league is just you you're completely anonymous when you go there yeah funny hey it's it's one of those things is even in New Zealand you know everyone knows almost every athlete from whatever sport when you recognise them but yeah when you're over and yeah. where you're from eh, it's a different story eh. It's just football. Everybody knows footballers with Wayne Rooney or you know somebody like that. Everybody in the country knows them. They're not they're not just sports people, but because they're on the front and the back pages of the paper, you mm. know. So football just dominates. Getting into league, you move to Wigan and you get kind of start going up the ranks and stuff. Is it similar to New Zealand where you know you start playing rep footy and then you you know you start getting noticed and then you you play 
like under age groups and all that, all that kind of thing. Is that kind of the yeah. same process? Yeah, yeah. So I got signed on a scholarship at Wigan when I was like 13, 12, 13. Um, and you, that just means that you train one day a week with other kids. Um, and then it gets up to academy level when you're 15, 16, just as you're leaving high school uh, mm. in England before you go to college or get a job. They decide if they want to um, want to sign you then to, to play in the academy, which was a was a massive pivotal moment really for me at that at that age um because Wigan didn't weren't really interested in signing me mm. um I was always a decent player but not the very best um physically I developed really late mm. I think at, at 16 as you know some kids at 16 are men and some <laughs> kids at 16 are the same as what they were when they were 13 and <laughs> exactly. that was me me too um <laughs> So it was just, I remember like there was kids at training, they'd take the tops off, they had hurry chest and I'm like, shit, he looks like a dad. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing here? Like I was yeah. so far off. Um, and at, at 16, when he left, we left, I left school or was about to leave school and they decide who they're going to sign and probably got 20 players and probably 13, 14 of them get a contract then the others get what I got, which is called pay-as-you-play, which so the better players would get maybe £5,000 a year at 16, which yeah. so they could go to college. So it's like $10,000 for you. Yeah. And they'd go, you know, they could go to college or get a job if they wanted and and um, and they got that payment. Whereas I, I was classed as pay-as-you-play. So um, if you play and the team win, you get 25 quid. So it was, Mate. it was poor. What does um, that, what does that do to you? Like as a 16, 17, 18 year old mentally, that must, cause I know you said you had that attitude, eh? Like of, and from yeah. your dad, like, no, nah, I'm going to stick it and just try and just never yeah. give up. But that must knock you for six. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it does. When you're, tra- you still train the same. So you're still training four nights a week from probably four o'clock till eight thirty. And there's other guys, and, and uh, you know, ten thousand dollars or five thousand pounds isn't a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. But when you're 16, you've never earned money before. Oh, you're like you're loaded. <laughs> it's yeah, you're killing it. And when I left school, um, I went being an apprentice greenkeeper um, oh. on a golf course oh, purely right. because I just wanted to play rugby. But I needed a job that was gonna pay for my fuel, pay for me a scooter to get to training. Um, and you know the kids who got the you know a few thousand quid generally they just go to college, mm. do some Mickey Mouse course just so they're ready to go train in the afternoon. Um, and yeah, so I went I went working on a golf course cutting grass. And a job I liked it. It was early starts, but it was early finishes, so yeah, yeah. I was ready to train in the afternoons. You any, um, you any, so any good on the course yourself? No. Nah. <laughs> I can cut the grass, but yeah. I never spent any time. The only time I was on the greens was cutting it. Yeah, I'm not great with the golf. Never really tried. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was just a, it was just, it was a job that was pretty easy, paid okay. People were like, "You're going being an apprentice greenkeeper? Why?" I was like, "Just want to do it, and yeah. I just want to play rugby, really." Mm. Um, and so that's that's what I did. So I did that for twelve months. And then the end of the first academy season, um, the coach just hadn't been picking me. 
Um, I just wasn't quite up to it. So I'd probably, you know, I'd play one week and then I'd get dropped. And I'd go to the coach and say, you know, why are you dropping me? He'd give me a list this long of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Which were all which were all true. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'd probably drop myself as well. I didn't tell him <laughs> that. I said he should pick me every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um they, my my coach at the time when I was sixteen, he's now the national coach, um, Sean Wayne. Oh um who I've yeah. he he went on to coach the first team at Wigan when I was playing there for about four or five years. He's now the national coach and my my rugby career and his coaching career follow very similar paths. Um, but after I did a I did a year of this twenty five quid if you get picked, which was rare. And yeah. if I got picked, we generally didn't win, so yeah. I didn't get paid yeah. a lot. No coincidence. Um, no. Um, <laughs> and at the end of that first year, they get everybody in and they just said, "Oh, you know, you can." They like sign kids again for the next year and for me they just said if you want to go somewhere else you can go somewhere else Jackson. I was like uh, okay and I got contacted from some other clubs which were Salford and Widness which were like they were in the league below Super League at the time mm. and they were like yeah come we'll give you £5,000 £8,000 and Wigan said if you want to come back you can come back but it's the same you know you're not getting any any real money so I was like, right, I'm just going to go and sort of concede to the fact that I'm not going to make it at Wigan, so I'm going to go and play um, play for someone else. And um, the end of that season, I actually went back to my amateur club and played with my mates again, yeah. just in the off-season. Yeah. And then for the next season, I'd, I'd met Salford and Widness and I remember being sat down with my parents and I said, yeah, I'm just going to go to one of them. You know, they're offering me five grand, I can buy a car and... I can pay for my insurance and et cetera. And my mum and dad were like, but do you want to play for Widness or do you want to play for these teams? I'm like, oh, no. But they're giving me 5,000 quid, 5,000 quid more than I'm on. And, and my, my parents were like, well, look, we'll, we'll find a way of getting you a car or, we'll, you know, you can use your mum's car, you can learn in that. Mm. But you know, you want to. You've you've grown up in Wigan. You want to play for Wigan. So just just do it. Just go for it again. So I was like, you know, at that if I hadn't had my parents at that point, I'd have gone to another club, and my career would have been so so different, so yeah. different. Because kids generally don't go to them clubs and then bounce back and go to a Super League club. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember being sat there, and I was joking with my older brother. My older brother was already in the first team at Wigan. I yeah. was like, oh, I might be playing against you, you know, if I got in the first team of the other clubs and we're joking yeah. like that. And my, my parents were just like, is it what you really want to do? And we'll find a way for you to get a car. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? That is what I want to do. And so I went back to Wigan and said, oh, no, I'll come back and play for Peanuts again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got a lucky break in the – there was a, there was a, a semi-final of my first year. Um, and I'd, I didn't get picked, obviously. But at the end of the game, there was a mass brawl, both teams fighting, yeah. and we got eight players banned for the final. Oh, so dude. the coach, <laughs> the, I was on the side, I'm like encouraging the lads. I was like, get in, lads, go on, go and throw <laughs> yeah. some punches. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the next the next week, the coach had no option, he had to play me. Um, and I played, and I played pretty well. 
Um, and that that was like one of the moments I was like, sometimes you just need a bit of luck. You know, that got me in. I played a final and we won. And it was like, without that brawl the week before, I'd never have had a chance. Um, it's so but yeah, so I stuck, I stuck at Wigan for, not, for free. And after I played about seven or eight games, and I think this finally gave me a bit of confidence. I played, I played all right. And they were like, right, we want to sign you. And that was when I was 17. And, you know, fast forward within... Within two years, I was on a hundred thousand pound hmm. from twenty five quid. If you win, if you win, so for two years, you know, and the difference in two years, I was, you know, my first real contract. I was on a hundred thousand pound, like two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Nineteen, nineteen, yeah. twenty. It was like it can change so so quickly, and you know, now I, I've said to my parents before, like if if they'd have just said, yeah, you know what, go and get that five grand at this other club, and. Mm. You know, I'd probably, I don't know, I'd probably be a plumber now, or yeah, yeah. I just, I just wouldn't have done it, and I just stuck with it, and and I think, you know, when I when I retire, um, I want to get into player management, you know, looking after young kids, and you know, developing the the, you know, helping them out, getting the right contracts, being at the right clubs and places, um, because I've always had a really good agent, um, Andy Clark, and I'm going to go work for his company. Mm. Um, when I finish I'm starting doing a bit of work with it now just taking on young kids and, mm. and trying to guide them a little bit um, but I've got a bit of a conflict because as soon as you as soon as you're at 15, 16 the first thing you start getting told is prepare for life after rugby prepare if it fails yeah. if if it does not everybody you know say the academy has got 40 players in you know there's only four of you that will play so get yourself ready for it not working and I've, I've, I'm like Nah, don't prepare for life after rugby. Don't mm. worry about life after rugby. Because you, if you're going for plan B, you're going to miss plan A, you know? Yeah, and I, but I think that's it's promoted far too much. It's like, do you get kids playing academy rugby? They don't know if they're going to be any good. Nobody does because they're only six, 16. Mm. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to college at night to do a degree in something or other. And, and like looking back, you get told it so much that you're like, yeah, I need to prepare that if it fails or... Like, I need to prepare for life after rugby. Mm-hmm. Like at sixteen, you don't need to prepare for life when you're thirty-five. Mm. Do you know what it's I mean? Just, Who does I'm that like, in any other career? You know what I mean? No, exactly. You don't. You don't get. You know, say someone, someone like you that's at college going to be a teacher. Nobody says if teaching doesn't work out, you need to also have a bricklaying degree. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. what? It doesn't. You don't do it. So yeah. I've. I feel like kids should be told, look, absolutely exhaust rugby league. Mm. If you, if you, or rugby union, whatever you're playing, if it's a sport and it's something you're passionate about and it's something you want to do from being five years old, mm. what's another couple of years of pure commitment to it? And mm. you get kids that are, you know, they've they've got they've gone to college and they've got a, you know, some qualification in something that they don't want to do, mm. but it's. Oh, it's my life after rugby. Like, yeah, yeah. If you if you're successful, and when you're an adult and you're playing and you're in your mid twenties, then start planning because you'll have an idea of when your career is due to end. Mm. You know, obviously in, injuries take a part in that, but you've you've got a rough idea mm. and you can start doing it then. But don't tell seventeen year olds to start planning for life after rugby. It's so stupid, but that's what you get told, and everyone's like, oh, when I was greenkeeping. Like, oh, is that what you're gonna? Is that gonna be your fallback? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just trying to get by it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to put some fuel in my scooter. Like, that's why I'm cutting grass. But that's it's the point not, of difference you passion. can handle as a manager or 
you know, whatever you're going to do in that realm. That's the point of difference that actually you can bring. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping. I, I feel like, you know, I've had a, I've had a good, a really good uh, manager all my career, the same one. Um, but I know that there's things that I would have liked or a, a bit more guidance. And you've got to remember, like, a lot of kids that play rugby league, they come from some pretty rough backgrounds and mm. they don't always have that influence at home that I had. You know, I know I was really lucky. I had my parents... Um, and my older brother was going through everything two years before me mm. in different circumstances. He was, my brother was, you know, he was, he was always going to be a super league player from being 15. So it was, he had a lot smoother path into rugby league. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, and I think, you know, what I want to, I think I can add, you know, that I've, I've, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff and I'm like getting into rugby league and, and these kids that are at home don't have that positive influence, you know, not pushing it on them, but saying, look, this is what I think, or, you know, being able to be someone that some kids can lean on because I, I've seen people that just didn't really have that at home and, and it probably cost them, you know, actually being, being, um, you know, being, being, being successful. You know, yeah. I, I was nowhere near the best player at 16 mm. and I was nowhere near at 17 or 18, but, I was just persistent with it and, and improved. And as my body developed, you know, I was, I was able to play a little bit better, but I know that for a lot of people that isn't the case and, and they don't get that at all. But more to it though. And, and something that's one of the standouts of your game. Cause even me, I love league, like league's, league's my sport. Um, but mentally you actually got to be real smart on that field, man. Like it's the way like you find holes and gaps and just all of that stuff comes with it too. You know, it's not just, I guess, yeah, for players, if you've got the size and you've got the like in New Zealand, and you know what it's like in New Zealand, all the like probably the younger Warriors lads that you would have seen walking around yeah. probably had calves on calves on calves. You know what I mean? Yeah, but um, it's not just that. Hey, it's a mental game. No, yeah, it is, and I think I always you know, it's really difficult for kids in the teens because, as we touched on before, nobody's at the same physical development. So when you when when you're all 25 or you're all 10, mm -hmm. that's the, that's, that's the only times that everyone's equal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> kids of your own age are equal. It changes. So, you know, and I think that's why this, this system in England is, is flawed because you get selected at 16, 17, you know, like some kids, they're nowhere near physically developed and some kids that's as big as they're going to get, mm. you know, the biggest kids in, year 10 at school are now dwarves yeah but yeah because you know they were man child at 15 and but i think that's why a lot of kids do get missed and i know in yeah in in new zealand it's i couldn't believe when i went when i first arrived and uh, i got i went into the gym at mount smart um i yeah. flew over for a week a week just to do some promo stuff before i signed so me and my agent flew on for a week went into the gym and i was like went up that they've got like offices at the top where you can see down into the gym. Mm. I was looking down, I was like, oh, I didn't really recognise him. I was like, oh, they're a big team, aren't they? My age is like, yeah, yeah, they're big, they're big. And then one of the staff, Dean Bell it was, came through. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, these are the uh, these are the juniors just training. I was like, <laughs> oh, they're the juniors, right? They yeah. were massive. It yeah. was strange. And then and then you know, next day I met the first team and, and I knew knew some of the players. It was like I couldn't believe it. It was such a weird experience. And my first um, 
<laughs> my first encounter at the Warriors was with um, who's now a good friend, the Mad Butcher. Oh yeah, yeah. Elite. he's awesome. Yeah, uh, I speak to him probably three times a week, more yeah. than anyone I've met in New Zealand. I speak to him very regular. Yeah, um, and I was in the gym and I was just meeting the first team players and shaking hands. And I meet you, blah blah blah. And I'd never, I'd, I'd, I had no idea who this guy was. No one had said. I think you need a warning when you sign at the Warriors or if someone an overseas player goes the to mad butcher like, this warning. guy <laughs> like, I heard you explain who the bad butcher is it was yeah. just like there's no it doesn't come with a warning does it yeah so I'm in the I'm in the gym and this guy just starts walking down the stairs old guy shouting across the gym he's like oh is that Sam Tompkins right come here Sam I'm like who's this everyone's just laughing yeah. this old guy like hobbles down the stairs comes to me grabs me he's like like listen here you he's grabbing my ear listen when you play for the Warriors this is what you do I was like who is this and everyone's just laughing yeah and he goes and he, he grabbed my hand and he goes I touch my nose I was like what he goes, this is what we do touch touch my nose so I went like that with my finger to touch his nose he goes no touch it with your nose I was like what the f- what do you mean but I'm t-. he drags me in gives me a big hungry I was like yeah what's that? Yeah. And no one had ever told me about this. Yeah, and I've yeah. just got some old guy just coming to the gym shouting at me, rubbing <laughs> noses with me. I was like, how bizarre is this? Oh, and man. Like, and then straight after, everyone's like, oh, that's the man butcher. I was like, oh, cheers. Well, you know, when I signed, that should have been on the contract. You <laughs> might bump into this fella, just be aware. Um, oh, bro. And, and that day he was like, so we had this first encounter with him. I was like, this is bizarre. Yeah. And he was like, anything you need in Auckland, you know, you let me know and I'll I'll look after you. And to be fair, he he, he really did after that. He yeah. um he was yeah, anything he needed, he invited me over to his house and we'd go around to, over to Waiheke and have a family over. Like, oh, I'll bring your family over and we'll have a barbecue and yeah. you know, such a genuine, genuine bloke. He's he's um yeah, one of the one of the nicest people I've ever met um, yeah. in my life and you know, so lucky that he you know that he was involved with the Warriors when I was there because you know I, I genuinely think he's you know one of the best blokes I've ever met he's just a, he's a club talisman eh? and he's just some guy mm. that's just mad on rugby league mad on his on his you know on his team yeah. um, you need more of those just, folks just, around yeah and like the, the the work he's done for charity over the years mm. that pe- people see some bits of it but you know when I was there it, he'd, he'd never had a free minute yeah. you know he was don't know how old at the time probably 70s and he didn't have a free, a free night. Every night he's going to someone. There's oh, there's, he'd be saying, oh yeah, there's a there's a little kid that's not so well in the hospital. I'm going to go there tonight. Take them a warriors kit. Then I've no, got such cool. a buddy. My old mates in hospital. I'm going to go and see him. And and it was like he's such a giving bloke. He, he and you know didn't didn't really care that he he had no no free time. He you know he he went watching the warriors and that was you know he lived to be in that lounge at Mount Smart every week to watch yeah. the warriors and. And um, you know it was infectious when you were around him. You're like, yeah, it is. Good. The Warriors are the best, aren't they? Yeah, you know what? And <laughs> yeah. if you sat with him for two minutes, you'd be like, yeah, that's it. Warriors are definitely winning the Premiership every year. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he can convince you. Yeah, he's so passionate about it. I'm keen to because I, I am keen to ask about your, I guess, you know, your Super League championships. But I, I think even the whole coming to the NRL and playing. Um, yeah, playing in the NRL. How did that even come about? Because I mean, when you came over, um, you know, it, here as Kiwis, you know, and me as a Warriors supporter, it was kind of like, oh yeah, like you know, who's this guy coming mm-hmm. over here? Because we'd heard that the big names coming in, 
Um, and you, mate, you you were awesome. But what was that process? Did you just get a call, or were you kind of like looking to come and play down under for new experiences, or how did that even? Um, well, it it came about in two thousand and eleven. Um, uh, a rugby union team from London Saracens um, approached me about going playing for going playing for Saracens, and um, I I was like, you know what, I could. I could sorry 2012 yeah it was for 2012 and I was like you know I could see myself going doing something different I'd been at Wigan from being a young age I made my debut in 2008 you know we won a comp in 2010 the first comp in the club for like 15 years before that um 2011 we won the challenge cup because we have two competitions over here mm. and then I was like yeah I could see myself going doing something else and then um Saracens came I met up with them and we sort of agreed yeah, we'd come go and play rugby union. Um, and at the same time, they said, would your brother consider it Joel, my older brother? He was in the first team at Wigan at the time. So met with him and Joel's like, yeah, I'm keen. So we said, all right, we'll both go. Um, so I went to Wigan, but I was already under contract at Wigan. So I said, oh, look, I've met with Saracens. I mm-hmm. want to go there. And so does Joel. Um, but then there was a buyout clause to buy out of our contracts. I think they he then set the price. Joel was £250,000 and I was £750,000. Mm. So Saracens looked at it and just went, oh, you know what, we'll just take Joel. So I was like, okay. Yeah. So then I was at Wigan and I went and so Wigan said, you know, stay and we'll, give, we'll negotiate you a new contract. And, you know, I got a good a good pay rise. And, and then I played the 2012 season mm. and I was like, I should have just gone. I should have dug my heels in and gone. Like mm. I wasn't, I enjoyed it and never I've never like fell out of love with rugby or anything, but I was just like, what if I'd have gone there? I felt like then I needed a change because one was on the horizon and, and yeah. I hadn't done it. Um, and then I just had this desire. I wanted to do something else. And I've never been some some kids in England, they, you know, they watch all the NRL and love it and you know that's what they want to do. I wasn't I wasn't really one of them, mm. to be honest. I didn't really watch watch much NRL. But I was like, it's just a different thing. You know, I want to go and experience something different. I think I was growing up a little bit. I was 23 at the time. I was like, yeah. And, and then, so my agent put the feelers out for, for clubs in, in the NRL and, and we got a few a few, um, a few few clubs keen. Hmm. So then I went into Wigan and just said, like a year in advance, look, at the end of 2013, I want to leave, uh, which went down like a shit sandwich yeah a bit i just signed i just signed a five-year contract because yeah. when i didn't go to rugby union they were like right sign on a five-year deal 12 months in i've like rocked up to the office oh, i mean all right if i leave they <laughs> yeah. were like yeah yeah so yeah. so that's basically how it then came about and then spoke to a few different clubs a couple of ceos flew over to england to meet me from um from gold coast can't remember the team we spoke to now west tigers new zealand warriors and um the more I learned about the clubs and about them, I was like, there's something about New Zealand Warriors that sort of I don't know, it just made sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um and and then quickly they became front runners. They wanted me more than other teams anyway. I was like, let's just do it. So um they flew over, Dean Bell and uh, Wayne Scurra flew over to um England um because Dean Bell had actually Dean Bell was at the Warriors at the time, when when I was at Wigan and I mentioned, you know, they didn't want to sign me at sixteen. Yeah, that yeah. was Dean Bell's choice. Yeah, oh, Dean wow. Bell was head of head of youth at Wigan at the time. Oh man, that's interesting. Um, how that, how that, that comes around, eh? 
Yeah, yeah. It was funny, like, when I first signed at the Warriors, I'd go to, like, promos or meetings and they'd be like, oh, so... And Dean would be there and he'd be like, oh, so Dean, signed, Dean, Dean Bell knew you from Wigan, wanted to bring you over. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd always get in at the end. Yeah. If I'd actually listened to Dean at 16, <laughs> I wouldn't even be playing rugby there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, and, that, and that was it. Dean, they came over at I've, and then that was it. Signed, signed for three years and um, went and loved every minute of it. I didn't, while I was there, I didn't play some of my best rugby. Um, second year, I got injured. You did, eh? And, what did you do? Your knee was it? Or? Yeah, yeah. I snapped the uh, PCL ligament in my knee, and yeah. coming back from that, because by that point I knew I was I was cutting my stay short. My wife was pregnant, so we we're just going to do the two years rather than three. Yeah, and I I wanted to I wanted to play, so my knee my knee wasn't right, but the physios were like, oh, it's good enough. A lot of people play without a PCL. People like Manu Vatavai's got both of his gone, but generally it's people with big legs yeah, he, can get away with it. Yeah, mine, mine aren't like Manu Vatavai's. I can promise you that. Not many are. So no. So I carried on and, and played a little, you know, played through it. Um, and then as soon as I got back to England, they scanned me and they were like, "Nah, you need a big operation." So I had a synthetic PCL put in my knee, and I had a microfracture where they break the bone and Shucks. let it sort of regrowing yeah, new, yeah. new things. So. so um yeah, so as soon as I got to Auckland though, I knew straight away I loved it. Mm. It was clear. I bought a house in, in Oraki and mm. me and my me and my girlfriend at the time, wife now, um mm. we just loved it. It's just an amazing place, yeah. It's cool man and it's it's one of those things eh where, you know, you can look back fondly, you know? And even your introduction yeah. was a bit of a um Bit of a weird one because we had the nines, I think. I don't know if that's when you made your yeah. first appearance. Was it yeah, the yeah, nines? It was yeah, yeah. 20, 2014 nines, yeah. And I don't know if it was the first year of nines or not. I can't remember, but yeah, it was definitely not your um, normal start to a <laughs> to a team. You know what I mean? No. Nah. Yeah, no, no. It was it was strange. I love the nines concept. I think it was the first year it had been done as well, 2014. Mm. Um, just because I'd, I'd played at Eden Park before as well um, mm. with the national team and that and. Yeah, it was a it was a strange start. Like I was doing preseason, we were doing nines training. It's like All bizarre, right. but yeah, it was a it was a good start, and yeah, enjoyed it. It was it was good, and yeah, a, a bit of me wishes I'd stayed at the Warriors. Um, I think just timing for life away from rugby just wasn't really that good. You know, my wife got pregnant, and we wanted to my my brother and, and my wife's sister both had young kids at the time and it was like one of your own family for your first baby and like now we've got three kids nearly four kids it wouldn't bother me we're like now i've got you've got my own setup i don't miss family like i live in france now it's not far from england but i don't miss anyone don't mm-hmm. miss it sounds a bit heartless but i think when you've got your own little setup you've got your own family i don't i don't miss anyone and so had it been a different time in my life, you know, I think I could have stayed at the Warriors for a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I'll tell you what, mate, we're losing um, Roger at the end of the year, two of us a sheep. So, mate, yeah. if you ever want to fly by for a little hello. <laughs> but, um, get back over. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's cool. Uh, something you said that is interesting is because something we don't, I think you'd agree when we're younger, eh? You don't learn about money very well. I don't think nah. anyway. I don't know if England's different. No. So when you're 19 and getting chucked like 100K, and even now, like whatever you're earning in your 30s, how did you, especially when you were younger, how did you actually cope with that? 
going from 25 quid, you know, and and what have you yeah. got from cutting lawns and you're getting all this money. Did you have to, was it the parents again was help with that or your manager or how yeah. did you actually navigate that? Um, well, it was my parents. and My manager's always been basically, if you need me, I'm here. Um, but generally my parents just sort of took, not didn't take control of it, but just like were like, this is what we think you should be doing. Um, and as soon as I earned, started earning good money, my parents, well, my dad was like, you need to buy a house, need to buy a house now. I was like, okay. Mm. He was like, went around looking for houses like, and that, that was, it wasn't really an option. It was, you need to go and buy a house. Yeah, You've yeah. got, you're earning, I remember my dad saying to me like, you're earning what people earn in the thirties. And I was, you know, like people build up to this sort of money. And, and so you, you need to treat it as if you are a little bit older than you are. And, I was, you know, so I, I bought my first house at 19, I think it was. Yeah, 19. And and I remember I moved out. It was about a mile and a half from where my parents lived. And I was so not ready for living on my own. It's untrue. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you know every, how to cook? Nah. Cook, clean, nothing. Every, like, a couple of times a week, I'd just take a massive bag of washing down to my mum's. Yeah, yeah. I'd go there and she'd wash it while she made me some food and then she'd yeah. she'd bring me food up to my house. We've it was basically it was like a it was like a hotel. Basically I just slept there. I had cleaners came in every week. I didn't yeah. do anything. Yeah. And like I think I was so far off. I was so far off being ready to live. But again, you know, I had my parents were were, were massive in the fact that they were like, you know, you need to have a house. And mm. then they were my mum didn't want me to leave because my oldest brother, Joel, he left home when he was like 17. Mm-hmm. He moved in with a girl. Then I was 19. So I I left. And then my younger brother was only 16. He was like, can I come with you? I was yeah. like, yeah, come on. So yeah. like, all of a sudden, my mum was like, empty nest syndrome. Yeah. She was like, so I said to my parents now, as you know, as much work as you put in, you got it easy because I was 19. I stayed at home the longest. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> we, we were all we were all gone in no time. So, yeah, so it was <clears throat> getting, getting, you know, starting getting paid well at a young age. I think it's, it, it, it sounds stupid, but it's just the norm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hadn't, and because you're in, you're in a world where, so I was, once I'd got into the first team, that was it. I stayed in from the first game. Mm. Um, again, another little lucky break. We had a there was an Aussie half back in front of me called um, Tim Smith yeah. at the time, um, and he broke his shoulder in a game. That was it. I got chucked in, played pretty well, and that was it. I was mm. in. Mm. Um, but because you, you're then you're then in a world of all the players around you ruining good money. Yeah. Although you're young, you know. I mean, I was knocking around with Tommy Lulawai, people like that that were, you know five five years older than me but you know you're in, you're on a sort of similar pay scale after not too long and yeah. so it just seems quite normal to have a bit more money was lance in that um sit up with you then oh hi no no nah. no 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 he was never at wigan he oh. was st helens oh he was st helens yeah he was he was yeah. um you can never get them two mixed up you oh, can never get st helens and wigan mixed it'd up. be criminal way eh? Oh, I've yeah, gone and done get, the worst thing you can. For that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like mixing up the Crusaders and the Blues when it comes to the Union in New Zealand. That's um, it. That's it. For you, what did you have a go-to? Because I know I, I laugh because I can I can relate to that when I moved up because I'm from Fongamata. I don't know if you've ever visited the Coromandel when you were in New Zealand. Beautiful uh, no, beaches. No, my wife, 
my, my wife went up and travelled all around it with this distractor, but I never got to. Mate, you missed out the best spots. But um, So I moved to Auckland to study and all that. And, you know, there's always the old go-to meals that you probably recycle like three times every yeah. night, every week, you know. Did you have any go-tos back in those yeah. early days? Mine was just microwave rice <laughs> and chicken. That was it. Chicken and rice? Like microwave rice. Chicken and rice. I literally lived off that for oh, about two years. And then I got, um, I got a, a Nando's black card. Yeah. Um, so in England, Nando's is like massive. It's really good. Way better than when I moved to Auckland. It's not really. Big I was yet, like, "Where's the Nando's?" He was like, "Oh yeah, there is one, but it's nothing. It's nothing like." But in England, Nando's is like a real big. Everyone goes Nando's. It's good food. And um, I got I got given a, a Nando's black card, which means everything's free for you and whoever you're with. Nice. So then I was living on my own. So every I, I was going to Nando's like five times a week. Yeah, and it got bad because. All my mates who had no money were like, oh, can we go Nando's on your card? Even So even when I didn't want it, I had to go to get other people free food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, right. so that was, so I, I didn't, to be honest, I ate out probably four or five times a week and then the other two or three was just microwave rice and chicken. Mate, if you were smart about it, if you were smart about it, you could have earned yourself some sort of endorsement from that, mate. The old Nando's yeah. poster boy. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think I was just happy with free chicken. <laughs> um, I, I like I know for you, if I'd asked you the pinnacle, you you know, obviously family life and things outside of sport are so much bigger. Within sport, would you say playing for your country is is the pinnacle for you? Um, winning, winning a trophy with the country is. Mm. Um, we beat the we've 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 never won a we've not won a World Cup, but we. Uh, a couple of years ago, we beat New Zealand in a um, in a three match series, and mm. um, that's that's a big thing. In England as well, you know, winning a winning a competition with your club is is big because it takes so long to do. You know, you're over a year, um, so that's that's probably more satisfying. But actual, so uh, something to be proud of. Yeah, it's definitely wearing the the England jersey mm. um, and and winning in it. You know, I've I've played in some England games where. We've been beat, and it's like you don't look back on them fondly. Even though you're in an England shirt, I can't, I can't mm. say that I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? So, mm. you know, winning, winning an England shirt is the pinnacle. It's you know, yeah. just playing isn't isn't quite quite enough, really. Were you in that um that World Cup semi final when New Zealand won it in the in the buzzer with Sean Johnson? Yeah, we're not talking about that, are we? <laughs> No, nah, yeah, we, we won't. It's part of the contract that we signed before this interview. <laughs> that was that was my um, that was my last game on English soil before I came to the Warriors. Oh. um, yeah. So yeah. did the boys give Keep you a bit of stick finish. about that? Oh, what do you think? <laughs> First day at the Warriors, they were like, oh, "Are you and Sean speaking?" <laughs> I was like, "Nah, not yet." <laughs> um, no, it was oh, that. That is probably the most heartbreaking loss. Mm. Of, of my career you know mm. I've lost I've lost at Wembley in a Challenge Cup final before um, you know I've lost semi-finals and uh, I've had some some horrible games but that one is far and away the worst loss I've experienced mm. horrible mm. horrible just we were the better team for 100%. 79 and I can admit minutes. that I can admit that mate I'm not um, too proud and then you know a couple of I think it was an error, penalty. Someone shot out the line, and you know, Sean Johnson does what he's does what he's good at, and, and mm. got through. And it was, oh, it was 
yeah, absolutely devastating. And for me, knowing, you know, I was, it, my romantic vision was, and that year at Wigan, we won the Challenge Cup and the Grand Final. Mm. So we'd won the double, which was huge. And I was thinking, and then we're going to get to a World Cup final and we're going to win that. And and then all of a sudden, this fairy tale finish of, it just goes, oh, it's not happening. Mm. It's it's horrible. It was, yeah, that was the worst, definitely the worst, um, the worst loss of my career. I'm trying to remember, was Sonny Bell on that side as well? Um, yeah, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, I think because I remember at that tournament he batted the ball. Oh no, that was someone else. But yeah, it's that's not easy, bro. I can t- I can imagine. Nah. And even and even for you though, what's the bounce back for something like that? Um, it just takes time. Yeah, before you can, you never get over it. But to be fair, that one's because it's right at the end of the season. You know, after that, I'm off on holidays, and mm. you can switch off from it a little bit. Mm. Um, so it's not as it's not as bad. It. The thing with those is you have to watch a World Cup final the next week. Or I didn't even watch it, but know it's on that you should have been in. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, I could have been there. Um, so, but that's you know that's that's part of sport. You know, I've been on, been very lucky to to win a lot of a lot of big games and mm. you know a lot more than I've lost. So it's that's part of sport, and I think that's where you've you just have to realise that sport would be no good if everybody won. You have to lose. It's true, man. It's true. And I mean, I see, um, I, I don't know, you probably haven't really, but it's all over the news at the moment in the UK, how all these big, um, well, actually in Europe, how all these big football clubs are making their own breakaway kind of football league. I don't know if you've seen yeah. anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it on the news. Um, and I haven't invested too much into it, but it, it's kind of taken away like the competitiveness and what kind of, when you boil down sport, what it is, you know, you go out there, you work mm. hard and you win and you lose. And it's not like a money thing. Um, yeah, and you got to play it's it for the love of the game. It, yeah, and uh, I think that's that. that I, I watched an interview with Gary Neville speaking about you know that's like the magic of football and mm. and saying how, how it's losing it, and it is. You know what what makes sport so good is it's the same as when you're seven years old playing it, mm. or when you're 32 years old playing it professionally. You know it's competing, it's winning and losing. It's not about you know you you don't think about the money and when you're playing you don't think about you're never thinking about what people are earning or the bigger implications of a sport. You just you're playing it because you're competitive and you want to win. And you know there's nothing better than winning, whether it's you mm. know in sport or or in life. I think I think that's something that I need to get out of when I finish being too competitive. You know, it's I've just been. It's all you do is compete for for everything, whether it's in training, is it in a game mm. so so long. I like I play football with my kids in the garden. My missing like just let him win. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Smashing him at football is only five. I'm like, I can't do it. I'm like my wife's always like, You're taking it too far. She jumps in, she jumps on the kids' side, like yeah, trying yeah. to play football in the garden. I'm like, yeah. no chance, you're not getting this past me. Yeah. But yeah. But you're teaching your kids something that. through that though, you know what I mean? Like you're teaching them that. Because is, is is what the life you've lived, is that what you would want for your kids if they wanted that? Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife, we've spoken about this before, because my son, my eldest, he was started going to rugby training. And she was like, oh, I don't know if I want him playing rugby, you know, getting your head banged about. And mm. Do you want that? And I'm like, we live in the south of France, in, you know, where we want to, anywhere. We've, we've lived in place in the world wherever we wanted to live. You know, we'd, you know, we'd financially set up when I retire in a few years. 
that's all from playing rugby. So you couldn't, I couldn't technically say, yeah, let him do it, you know. So, um, yeah, one thing I worry about is, you know, my kids being, you know, like I mentioned before, how they're going to be when they're older and because they do get an easy life, my kids. And my, my, my wife was pretty spoiled as a kid. So we always had this battle because we weren't spoiled. Mm. Um, and like my kids, they'll moan that the swimming pool's not got enough toys in. I'm like, you've got a swimming pool. Yeah. And it was funny, actually, last last Christmas, we went back to um, England because nobody could come to France with COVID. Mm. And um, I was driving to my mum's house. I'd pick my boys up from from um, the, the other grandparents who were driving to my mum's. And I said, I'll drive you past where dad used to live. So we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So we drove down the street. I was like, oh, it's that one. And he was like, it's not very big. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and he was looking at the full building. I was like, oh, no, we only had that that half of it. Mm. And he was like, really? It's not very big. I was like, I said, yeah, but, you know, you're lucky and, you know, you've 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 got a nice house and that's, um, you know, we're lucky that that's all it is. But, you know, this is where I grew up. So, you know, I didn't have nice things like you have and I didn't have a swimming pool. Mm. And my son went, it doesn't have a swimming pool. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, my son's a prick. I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was just, I'm I'm just bringing up some horrible kid, and yeah. you know when I when I thought about it, I'm like, why would he not ask that question? He doesn't. All our friends where we live, everybody from my bedroom, I can see five swimming pools. People just have swimming pools, mm. so he doesn't know any different. Mm. He's like, it doesn't have a swimming pool. I'm like, first of all, it'd be an ice ring in England. But he, <laughs> yeah. And I was, I said it to my missus. I was like, he was he was surprised he didn't have a swimming pool. Like that's how spoiled our kids are. But she's like. He doesn't know any different. He just presumes people have a pool. Like he goes to his friend's house around the corner. They've got a swimming pool. And yeah, yeah. It's hot all the time, and, mm. that, and that's it. So, so when I, I think about how my kids are going to develop as as adults and as humans as they get older, it's like, how do I sort of instill in them whatever has been instilled in me, but in a different environment, yeah. um, which I think can be can be tough and I fall into the trap all the time or the kids want to oh, I just get it or he needs a new just go and get him that new bike or just get him this and that and it's always a worry but I think you've just got to do your best at hoping that you teach them that you know they are lucky to get what they get well I think yeah it starts with that intentionality right you know and and mm-hmm. things like I don't know what it's like and where you are but I know for me when I was 12 or 13 I had my first job you know it's things like that you know when mm-hmm. they get old enough you'll be like yeah. oh, boys get a job you want a, you want a new bike Get a job, you know. Well, like we we do it with them now. We say like they'll they want to go to the bakery or whatever, and you say right. Well, look, you've got to do some jobs before we go and do it, and try and do that. But it's just too easy. Just go, oh, yeah. Here's the here's ten euros. Go the go the shop. Um, yeah, I I had a job when I was like 13, 12, 13 on a um a paper round. I remember I hated doing it. Oh yeah, we've all been got, there. I got a tenner at the end of the week and I was like, it's all worth it. But yeah, I hated it. And, and, but I suppose that's what you've got to do. I'll have to get them going, I don't know, doing a croissant round or something. I think I had a, I had a paper round before I was um, working like a dishwasher in a cafe. I had a paper round and I lasted one week. And I was, <laughs> then I was out. <laughs> I remember I used to do it. And um, obviously the weather in England is not the best. And I'd come home from school, I'd get my bike out and it'd start raining. And I'd be like, 
going on with my parents. Oh, it's pretty bad the rain. You think the brakes will be all right on the bike today? Yeah, it should be. Shouldn't <laughs> but eventually, my mum my would just go get in the back of the car and she'd drive me around in the car and I'd just post him out of the car. <laughs> right. It'd take like 10, 10 minutes in the car. So, oh, man, who had yeah, it easy, well <laughs> Yeah, true, oh. true. I'm mourning about my kids getting it easy. I had a yeah, paper yeah. around in the car. Yeah, <laughs> it's that bit of it, eh? Let's talk out, like just outside of league, bro. What do people know you as, man? Like, what do you enjoy doing? Like, if you're not, because I mean, here's the thing, and this is what I love about this podcast, and I think some one of the reasons maybe why you were keen to hop on is because there's more to Sam Tompkins than the rugby player. You know what I mean? And we've talked a lot about yeah. family life and being a father. It's been real cool chats. Uh, outside of that, man, what else is there? You know, what do you what do you enjoy doing? And um, I've I've got a bit of a, um, you know, I really enjoy property um, mm. and developing and, and renovating property. Um, obviously, while I've been playing, um, while I'm playing, it's difficult to do. But that's something when I finish playing, um, I want to do a lot more of. Um, the house that I live in now, I bought um, before I moved to France. I just came and viewed it once and it was an old wreck. And we spent 12 months renovating the house. Oh, cool. Um much to my wife's surprise, I bought it without telling her. Um, yeah. Because we we discussed it. I said, "Look, I've seen this because I played a game against the Catalan Dragons. I was playing for Wigan, and the coach said, I said, can I stay over a couple of days?' Mm. He knew I was signing here. Mm. Said, "Yeah, yeah." I came and viewed the house, and I was like, I "Said to my wife, I've seen this house. It's like a derelict old house. Needs like twelve month renovation on it." Yeah. And my wife's like, "We're moving to a new country. We can't speak the language." Why would we be renovating a house? I was like, it'll be cool. It'll be fun. She's like, hey, she does have a point, bro. You know, yeah. Oh, 100%. She was right. But I, and but it's something I just love doing. And I was like, we'll be able to work it out. I have a, a plumbing firm back in England. And I was like, I'll get the lads over from the plumbing firm and they'll do all the work. And, and um, anyway, when she was like, no, I'm not going for it. So I said, okay. And then I got on the phone to the, a real estate agent in France, and I was like, I'll just put an offer in, just see. Anyway, they came back, accepted the offer. So they had to go into my wife. I was like, right, don't shout, and you're going to have to trust me on this one. Yeah. But we've bought this, and she was like, and my wife's very, she's just like, right, well, you've chose it, so it better work. And yeah, no, she you. said, no, we, so, so we lived in a little, um, I bought I bought the um, apartment next door to my house as well. So we'd lived in this little two-bed apartment for the first 12 months in France, um, which for my wife, she was like, I hate it. We've got, we had two boys. She was pregnant with our daughter. It's had no air conditioning, but mm. we, I had to be on site. You know, I needed to be right here to oversee work and, and things. And, and that's what we did. We lived in that for 12 months. And now she says she'd never leave this house. Like she loves it, got to do whatever she wanted. And that's something that, from, away from rugby is, is property that I really I really want to get involved in um, and you know aside from that I'd, I've I've still got the same friends I had when I was eight years old that's awesome in mate. England yeah um, you know my, my mates are the same guys I played rugby league with when I was was eight um, you know they're, they're still my best mates and um, just a bit of when I finish when I retire just going back to normal life and I'm not, you know, rugby league gives you so much professionally and you get so much from it. And and the, 
and I'm not saying sacrifices are horrendous because they're not. You don't really miss that much, but yeah, yeah. you do miss socialising and seeing your friends normally. Mm. Um, you know, you miss umpteen weddings and, and holidays and things like that. That's true. Um, so, you know, when I do retire, I'm looking forward to just that bit of normality of on a Sunday, a couple of your mates, oh, do you want to go for a few beers? Mm. Yeah, go on then. Yeah, like, yeah. You just don't have that luxury, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. not something you do. So, um, yeah. When I fit, when I've got a few years left in me at playing, um, but away from away from rugby, that's I want to be successful in in business. Um, mm. you know, so I've got a, I've got a plumbing firm um, that does decent. I've got um, got a few properties and things and 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 different different ideas for for business when I finish. Um, so I think that's you know people. It's funny you use the word retire. You know, you're retiring from one job, but then you're you know you're a startup in a new job the next week. Mm. Um, you know. You know, very lucky that I'll be able to pick what I want to do. But, um, you know, that's for me. I'm already thinking, like, you know, how can I be successful in 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 business? And I think, you know, what I've learned through rugby league, I think a lot a lot of lessons and, and traits that you pick up can can sort of affect, you know, success in in any field. And and that's what I want to do. I want to I want to be, you know, I want to build success for my kids, and mm. I want my kids to to grow up knowing that, you know. Dad was a good rugby league player, and then he was a good, um, you know, businessman, property developer, whatever it'd be. You know, I want him to be equally as, as sort of um, proud of, of what I've done after rugby. Um, yeah. I remember a few years ago, I've done some work with Sky Sports in England, and a few years ago they said um, there was a new uh, Superman film coming out. Russell Crowe was in it. Um, yeah, yeah. Henry Cavill was the was Superman. And I've done some um, punditry and I had a couple of my own shows on Sky Sports in England. Um, and they said, Sky Movies have got the premiere in London. And they said, will you go down and interview Russell Crowe? So I was like, yeah, of course I will. So it was going to be spread. It was going to be put on Sky Movies and then also used on the Sky Sports channel. And I remember I went down and I interviewed Russell Crowe and, and Henry Cavill, who was Superman. And after it, I got an email from... Um, one of the head guys at Sky Movies. I didn't know who he was at the time. I just yeah. got this email. And I still remember it to this day because he was like, he said, oh, look, really appreciate what you did. Great interview. Um, he said, hopefully one day you'll be known as Sam Tompkins, the TV presenter, not Sam Tompkins, the rugby player who presents on TV. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And then the more I thought of it, I was like, yeah, so whether it's TV presenting or not, like that is what I want, you know. I want to be known for something else, you know. Yeah. Rugby's, rugby league's a big part of my life, and it's given me everything I've got. But you know, what I mean, at, at thirty-four, rugby league's finished. We've still got a lot of life to do yet, mm. and you know, I want to be, I want to be successful, and want to be successful in other areas of life when I when I do finish playing, and that's that's a big focus for me now. Mm. That's that's. There's no way you could sum up that any better because I mean. The reality is that's what you're known for now, but you don't want to be known just for that, you know. So that's no, that's I don't really. Want to be, you know, I just think it, you know when I when I'm fifty, you know, in another twenty years, I don't want people. I don't still want to be referenced as, oh yeah, people will know me for what I've played done in rugby, but I don't want there to be nothing else to the conversation of. I know Sam Thomas played rugby. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I want it to be, you know, oh well, he, he went on to be successful in this or this or. You know, and that that's that's what that's what a focus for me is now. 
Yeah, that's awesome, bro. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that, how that, and what that develops like. You know, you could even do like a um, I don't know, around the world um, locations tour, and then you can come back over, bro. Come back and uh, yeah. show them I'll, why I'll, again. Somehow I'll I'll work that in, and I think it's it's funny you know because uh, you never like when I've said before about like young kids, you know, not preparing for life after rugby. I could never have predicted what because I'm still now I've, I've got options of what I want to do, but none of the options that I've got I would have thought I'd have had at 15, 16. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so it's so different. Oh, you you know you don't know where where it's going to lead you playing rugby. So mm. it's um yes yeah, so that's the situation I'm in now. I've got a few options for when I finish playing, whenever it is. Mm. But yeah, the, my focus is to be successful in whatever it is that I that I do end up doing and um. You know, I don't think about it too. You know, I don't dwell on it every day. And there's opportunities that come and go all the time. But, mm. um, but yeah, it's 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 something that certainly I, I do a lot of thinking about. Um, but yeah, not too much thinking. I listen to your podcast with your um your flatmate about it, saying about his 15 minutes, where yeah. he um you know he lets himself think for 15 minutes, and after yeah. that, don't worry about it. And um, it's a pretty good tip that actually I've started using it myself. Yeah, it's a good one, eh? I I did, I don't know where he pulled mm. that one out of, man. I was like. Yeah. How good. I've started using that as yeah. well. I use my shower time. He said it was He said it was God sent, didn't he? So Yeah, yeah. It must have been uh must have been something in it. But yeah, it's a good it's a good little tip. You know, I have like the stresses and thinking about, you know, whether it's my kids in school or financially or is this should I sell that or do this? And I'm now I'm like, if it's something out of my control, think about it fifteen minutes after that. If I'm no better off, just leave it. So Yeah, man. Yeah, hey, so. worrying's like a rocking chair. You go back and forth, but you don't get anywhere. Eh? That's it. That's it. Well, Sam, man, I mean, um, it's actually been real cool getting you on um, for a yarn today. And I think the different, um, yeah, not even lessons you've learned, but I guess lessons you're still learning and wanting to be successful and even just like and a glimpse into your family life. It's been real cool to dive down into that. And thanks for like just being open and honest about it all. And yeah, man, it's been dope having you on. No. Thanks for having me. I've- as I say, I've, I've listened to um, pretty much all your all your cast now. I think it's, it's great what you're doing. So thanks for inviting me. On. Well, once again, Sam, thanks for hopping on the podcast, mate. Uh, absolute champion. Easy to talk to. Some good yarns for sure, and um, definitely some uh, golden gems for for people to take away from that conversation. And um, mate, next time you're in New Zealand. That's where you got to go, down the Coromandel. But um, once again, guys, thanks for tuning in um, to these episodes and another awesome one coming out next week. I can't wait to share that one with you as well. But until then, peace.